Thank you for joining us for the Midweek Bible Study with Dr. David Wilson. Now let's join Dr. Wilson for a more in-depth study of the Word of God. Tonight and next Wednesday, if it doesn't snow, we're going to finish 1 Thessalonians. And then we're just going to march right into 2 Thessalonians, finish the spring that way. Tonight we're going to look at chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, beginning in verse 16. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. The human body is a remarkable creation of God. It consists of more than 50 trillion cells, and its weight is about 60% water. Our bodies manufacture 300 million new blood cells every day. And, it has, and we have a heart that beats 70 to 80 times per minute or 100,000 times every day. Over 70 years, it pumps 400 million liters of blood. The average adult breathes six to seven liters of air per minute. Now picture in your mind a liter of Coke, not two liters, but a liter of it. The average adult breathes about six to seven liters of air per minute, which is about 10,000 liters per day or 3,650,000 liters per year. There are about 100 billion neurons, nerve cells in the brain. We are born with 12 billion neurons that do not regenerate when they die. There are 100,000 miles of blood vessels in our bodies. That's enough to circle the earth four times. The average human eye blinks about 20,000 times every minute. The human kidney filters 1,700 liters of blood every 24 hours. There's enough carbon in your body to fill 900 pencils. And there are about 75,000 hairs on your head, or at least there used to be. (laughs) And the strongest muscle in your body is the tongue. Well, I believe that, don't you? Now, you know, essential to health and well-being in this gift that God has given us, we're told there are three important factors. Rest, diet, and exercise. And we're told that for your body to be healthy and fine-tuned, it needs strength fitness, it needs endurance fitness, fitness, it needs aerobic fitness, speed fitness, uh, orthostatic fitness, and even relaxation fitness. Now, my favorite is the relaxation, isn't yours? <laughs> but all of these are crucial to a healthy, fit, and productive body. The, the human body is like any living 
organism, it must be used or it will lose its structure and its function. As the old saying goes, if you don't use it, you lose it. Now, I took the um, privilege of bringing to you an exercise for people who are over 40. Because I look around here and most of you in here, I know there's a few exceptions, most of you in here are over 40. So here's an exercise. You start by standing on a comfortable surface where you have plenty of room at each side and you hold a five pound sack of potatoes out here. Or a five pound potato sack out here. And you try to get to where you can do it for a minute. Well, when you get to where it's a minute, then you take a 10 pound potato sack and hold it out here. And then you work your way up to a 50 pound potato sack where you can eventually lift a 100-pound potato sack. Now, you get to where you can do that for a minute, and I'm at that level, 100-pound potato sack. And when you finally feel confident, you put a potato in each sack. (laughs) I'm telling you, you can do this. One lady said, I always do my exercises regularly every morning. Immediately after waking, I always say sternly to myself, ready now, up, down, up, down. And after two strenuous minutes, I tell myself, okay, now try the other eyelid. (laughs) What is true about our physical life is also true about our spiritual life. Spiritual exercise. To be fit and ready for service, you must engage in spiritual exercise. Here is some spiritual exercise. Every one of these phrases is an imperative, which means it's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's written in such a way that he directs our attention and he says, this is what you need to do. And when you begin to do these things, you're going to find that your spiritual life continues to grow. It, it gets stronger. It gets better. It, it matures. There are also these verbs are in present tense in the, in the original manuscripts, which means it's continuous action. It's something that goes on and on and on. You don't just do this once and then quit doing it. It's a command to do it. It's also in present tense, which means you keep on doing that. And it's also interesting that verses 16, 17, and 18 give particular attention to our inner life personally. And then verses 19 to 22 focus on life in the church together or our outward life. And so inwardly and outwardly, individually and corporately, we are to exercise to enable us to be spiritually strong in the Lord. So let's look at them right quick. There's eight of them. First of all, consistently rejoice. Paul addresses the subject of joy over 24 times in the two letters, in, in, uh, in his letters, not just these two, but all of the letters that he wrote. He, he likes the word rejoice, and he likes the word joy. It's a dominant theme in Philippians where he tells us rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Philippians 4, 4. Nehemiah 8, 10 reminds us that the joy of the Lord is your what? Is your strength. Joy is one of the marks 
of, of a person who has experienced the transforming power of God in their life. He puts joy. Now, the word always, that's one of Paul's favorite words. In 1 Thessalonians, he uses it four times in chapter 1, verse 2, chapter 2, verse 16, chapter 3, verse 6, and here in, in chapter 4, verse 17. And then it means on every occasion or in every set of circumstances, rejoice wherever you are. Now, folks, joy is not the same as happiness. Happiness is dependent on our circumstances. Not all of our circumstances are happy. But joy is based on the fact that we are in Jesus Christ and that we are experiencing the will of God for us and that we can experience joy even when we are in times of sorrow. Doesn't mean you're smiling all the time. It doesn't mean you're laughing all the time. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10 teaches us that there's no contradiction when we're in sorrow and we still have joy. Because joy comes from the Lord. Happiness comes from your circumstances and they're not always good. And because we belong to Christ and he's working his purpose in us and through us, and he owns us and he knows us and he loves us and we're his children, you can express joy even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Aren't you glad that God never leaves you? Aren't you glad that you can never be out of the presence of God and that nothing will ever separate you from the love of God? As we grow strong, we develop an, an optimistic outlook, a sense of humor, a winsome spirit. There's a smile rather than a frown. People leave our presence more encouraged when the, than when they first arrived. And let me tell you, all of us are going to through, go through times of difficulty and sorrow. But when you look at your life and you think of the overarching description of it, there should be more joy in your life than sorrow because joy comes from the Lord. Exercise it. <laughs> Rejoice always in every set of circumstances. Know who you are, know that God's there, and you can be glad in that. The second thing is to continuously pray. Now, here's the hardest one of all of the spiritual exercises. Here's the hardest one. Pray without ceasing. Jody Capehart of Dallas wrote, in, uh, wrote an, in, a, in an article, she said, I frequently use 1 Thessalonians 5.17 to encourage the children that I teach to pray without ceasing. One day after chapel, a young boy said, Miss Capehart, I'm sorry I sneezed during your prayer today. And I assured him sneezing was no problem, but I appreciated his apology. And he said, well, I know that you like for us to pray without sneezing. can always count on children, can't you? There's a connection between verse 16 and 17. Because if you pray without ceasing, there's going to be joy in your life. You're going to know who you are. You're going to know who you have a relationship with. You're going to walk with the Lord. There's a connection here. A heart full of joy is, is the result of a heart free of burdens. And a heart free of burdens is a heart that's comforted by prayer. 
This verse, this verse is sometimes a, a discouragement rather than an encouragement because some people read this verse and they conclude that somehow God expects them to be in prayer 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's impossible. That's not the intent of this passage. It, it challenges us to be constant and consistent in our prayer life. Prayer is to be a regular habit a close companion. We don't want to be like the fisherman who was out of fellowship with the Lord and was at sea with his godless companions when a storm came up and threatened to sink their ship. His friends begged him to pray, but he resisted. He said, it's been a long time since I've done that or even entered a church. And at their insistence, however, he finally prayed this prayer. Oh, Lord, I haven't asked anything of you in 15 years. And if you help us out now and bring us safely to land, I promise I won't bother you again for another 15 years. Well, that's not prayer. It's sobering to realize that prayer is often an escape mechanism rather than a way of life. We pray when we're in, a, we're in a jam or when there's nothing else to do. Corey Tim Boom asked the question, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? You don't think of your spare tire, do you? You didn't think of your spare tire driving over here tonight. It didn't even cross your mind. And when, when do you think of your spare tire? When you have a flat. Prayer can, can be understood as essentially breathing exercise. When we inhale, we listen to the voice of God in his word through the Holy Spirit's illumination. When we exhale, we speak back to Lord, sharing our heart, telling him what's on our mind. The word for prayer is a general word here that implies a worshipful approach to God. Pray without ceasing. It encompasses all types of prayer. And as we try to establish a good foundation, these basic exercises, we should focus on the two aspects of prayer, of praise and petition. We should come regularly in the presence of God, thanking him and praising him and honoring him for who he is and all that he's done. We praise him for the person he is and that he came to save us, that he loved us in spite of all our faults and our sin. And then we can approach him who is worthy to be praised. Then we can approach him asking him and interceding for others. You come to God, not as some mystical genie up here, well, let's come out, God, or some kind of good luck charm. Prayer is talking and conversing with God. It's an incredible conversation that connects earth and heaven. You've got a direct line to heaven. And it's the one time that you can connect with him. I don't understand all of the mysteries and how prayer works and how a finite human can influence a sovereign, infinite God, but I just know that God told us to pray, and when we pray, we become stronger spiritually. And we're blessed and God is pleased. It's the hardest exercise. I don't know if it's because we fail to appreciate what it means and what it does and that it works. Maybe you've prayed and God didn't answer it like you wanted. And maybe you thought, well, prayer doesn't work. Prayer always works. God always listens. I like what Andrew Murray said in his book, The Ministry of Intercession. He said, throughout scripture, in the life of every saint of God's own son, throughout the history of God's church, 
God is first of all a prayer hearing God. If he's always listening and he is, then we should always be praying. Talk to him. The third thing is to comprehensively be thankful. Now this may be one of the most difficult commands in the Bible to obey. The demand seems to be absurd and yet it says in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Notice it says in everything give thanks. Or give thanks in all things. It does not say give thanks for all things. Am I supposed to say thank you that my friend died? Are you supposed to say thank you when your parents are getting a divorce? Are you supposed to say thank you for the terrible accident that left your loved one in a coma with a battered and broken body? No, that's not what it says. It says give thanks in that call to remembrance, Romans 8, 28, that God is still at work even in the midst of horrible circumstances, that God works all things together. Doesn't mean all things are good. Leon Morris put it well. He said, when a man comes to see that God in Christ has saved him, everything is altered. He now realizes that God's purpose is being worked out. He sees the evidence in his own life and in the lives of those around him. This leads to the thought that the same loving purpose is being worked out even in those events which he is inclined not to welcome at all. When he comes to see God's hand in all that he in all things, he learns to give thanks in all things. I'm not thankful when, I, I'm not grateful for the, the bad circumstances. I don't like some stuff. But in the midst of it, I can still have a thankful heart to a God who knows how I feel, knows what I'm going through, and is not surprised by what I'm going through, and who will not ever leave me or forsake me. That's what it means. To, be thank, to have a thankful heart for a lost person to say thank you for everything is foolish. For a child of God to say thank you and everything is faith. I trust you, Lord. Alexander Witt, the Scottish preacher, was always, always began his prayers with an expression of gratitude. One cold, miserable night like we had last week. His people wondered what he's going to say, first of all, and here's what he prayed. Lord, we thank you that it's not always like this. <laughs> and you can pray that. Matthew Henry wrote a Bible commentary many years ago, and he wrote in his diary, let me be thankful. For, and, and I'm going to tell you, he was robbed one night. And he wrote in his diary, he said, let me be thankful first because I was never robbed before. Second, because although they took my wallet, they did not take my life. Third, because although they took my all, it wasn't very much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. You can always be thankful in every situation 
Be thankful to God that he hasn't left you, that he's there, that he knows how you feel and that he's not ever going to forsake you. Now you see, those three things talk about our inner life, our walk with the Lord. Now these next ones, beginning in verse 19, really talk about us collectively as believers, and some of us individual, but it really talks about in the church. And in fact, he goes to say in verse 19, constantly desire the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. The word quench means to put out. This is the only place in the New Testament where this word is used metaphorically speaking. A believer cannot lose the Spirit. You can't lose the Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 tells us. But Ephesians 4, 30 says we can grieve the Spirit and we can quench him. Now, in this verse, it's the work of the Spirit, not the person of the Spirit that's in the view. To quench the Spirit is to extinguish or stifle or restrain or stop his work in our lives. You don't want that. You want the Lord to work through your life. Since the beginning of the church, they've struggled to get it right when it comes to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. A.T. Robertson comes to them. He he, uh, lamented in his time. He said, today there are two extremes about the spirit and spiritual gifts. There's cold indifference and there's wild excess. And you find all kinds of camps here. You find when they talk about the Holy Spirit, some folks think that you just go wild and some folks think, well, it's not for me. The fact is, when you committed your life to Jesus, his spirit indwells you. You don't get him later. He's not an accessory. He's not an option. When you repented and turned from your sin and came to God and asked him to forgive you and you trusted your life because of what Jesus did on the cross, the third person of the Godhead enters your life and fills your life. You are a body, soul, and spirit. His spirit makes your spirit alive, which then begins to influence the rest of you. Well, Warren Wiersbe warns us, he said, the fire of the Spirit must not go out on the altar of our hearts. The Spirit is a gift of God's grace received at salvation. We are now his temple, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. James 4, 5 teaches us that the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. So we long for him to work in our life. It's not we're longing for him to come into our life, In Ephesians, when it says, be filled with the Spirit, be ye being filled, it's a constant filling. There's one indwelling of the Spirit, but a daily filling or daily committing yourself and saying, Lord, use me, let your Spirit live out through me. I don't want want you to be hindered in my life. Desire the Spirit of God. It's a he, by the way, it's not an it. (laughs) He. He he leads you, he he, um, inspires you, he directs you, he convicts you, he convinces you, he reminds you, he teaches you. I mean, we want the Holy Spirit work in our life. And so we 
desire him. A friend of Vance Havner once coined a phrase, uh, he coined a word by combining the word squelch and quench. He used to say, don't squench the spirit. And Havner thought it was so descriptive that he often used it in his preaching. Havner said, we squench the spirit in more ways than we suspect. We do so when we stifle the desire to speak or act for the Lord. We criticize or discourage others by an unspiritual attitude. We throw cold water on their inner fire. We have the Holy Spirit as an honored guest in every Christian gathering. And he can be grieved very easily. A frivolous attitude, a rebellious frame of mind, or a fed-up complacency will do it. When we gather together, we want the Holy Spirit to move in our midst. And he does. He draws people to Jesus, and he convicts people of sin, and he teaches us through his word. We want the Holy Spirit to work. He's welcome. He lives in us. He's welcome in this place. Look at verse 20. To conscientiously honor preaching. One way that we can quench the spirit is by despising the preaching of the word of God. Apparently preaching suffered from the same thing in the first century as it does today. I'm not talking about you folks, but there's not much respect for preaching in our world. What was the problem? Was it false prophecies or was it unimpressive preaching? The gift was not spectacular enough. You know, there are churches today who think just the preaching of God's word is not spectacular enough. What we do know, it is the power of God, 1 Corinthians 1.18. It convinces people, it convicts people, 1 Corinthians 14.24. It is that which comes in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. You can go back to 1 Thessalonians 1.5 and see that. Preaching today continues to be assaulted. Sometimes the attack comes from the evangelical camp, the Christians. Exposition has been the target of many modern ministers. Now, I know right now we're going through the Bible, and I want you to know it has, um, it's not my comfort zone, taking one one passage of scripture out of a book and try to preach, tell about that book, because I like to do what we're doing, going verse by verse. That's called exposition. But I will tell you that exposition is not popular today. Calvin Miller, who was formerly of the Beeson Divinity School, who died in 2012, he was a major advocate and an evangelist for narrative preaching over against exposition. He said, since we're a story-soaked culture, to preach in any other way is just not going to attract people. There are a couple of principles, and first of all, expounding the word. A lot of people associate expositional preaching with boredom. I like what Paige Patterson said. He said, the criticisms I hear about the expository preaching are in reality criticisms about boring preaching. 
The greatest preaching in the earth is still captivating, prophetic, invigorating, Christ-honoring exposition. Secondly, when the Bible tells a story, you should tell the story. When it teaches doctrine, you should teach doctrine. Be true to the text and show your audience what a great God we worship. Preach with passion, zeal, and energy. Honor, God, honor Paul's admission to preach the word, 2 Timothy 4.2. For some reason, I don't get to attend any of the church very often. But I have, to, I have to confess, of course, when I do get to attend another church, it's usually somebody I know or I'm watching online here if I'm, a, if I'm gone, just to make sure y'all don't fire me while I'm gone. But, but I'm amazed at times when people speak and they never open their Bible. You folks aren't that way. You wouldn't be here tonight if you were that way. You expect to open your Bible. You expect to be taught right out of the scripture. But isn't it amazing how many people who call themselves Christians would rather go someplace where they just tell you a nice little story and send you on your way, make you feel good, and you've done your duty for the week. I'm going to tell you, you're not going to be very spiritually healthy unless you dive in and look at the Word of God. And that's why he's saying, do not despise. And the word prophecies here is not foretelling. It's forthtelling. That's part of the prophet's job is to proclaim the word of God. Thus saith the Lord. And if you get to the place where you don't want to hear that anymore, you become spiritually unhealthy. It doesn't have to be me, but you want to hear the word of God. You want to hear, don't despise it. Verse 21 says, to carefully test everything. If you're not despising preaching or prophecy and the proclamation of God's word by his prophets, you're going to test things. Don't believe everything everybody says. Especially if they're not taking it right out of the word of God. And you've got to be careful that you don't listen to somebody who's going to pull one verse of scripture out over here and try to make a whole new case of something that contradicts another part of scripture. It's not of God. Test it. I'd never want you to take what I tell you at face value. I want you to test it. The Holy Spirit will let you know if it's wrong. He'll let me know if I'm wrong. I hope. I know he does. B.H. Carroll said there are some spirits that are from God. There's an inspiration that comes not from God. There is devil inspiration. The word test means to prove or to examine it. The New English Bible says try to determine the genuineness. And you note the qualifying phrase, all things. Test all things. It's okay to question. Why do we believe that? Where did you get that? Why do we teach this? Well, Vigilance is guarding the faith which was once and all for all delivered to the saints, according to Jude 3. It's an unnecessary posture. We can't let our guard down. What if somebody finally walks up here and says, you know, I got a new, I have a new word from the Lord and, and I just want you to know that they've discovered there's a fourth person to the Trinity, which that wouldn't make sense. 
wouldn't be a trinity if there's four, but I, something stupid like that. But, but you'd be amazed at how many people would say, you know what? All you got to do is this, and this is what God's going to do. He's going to make you a millionaire and so forth, and people just buy into all that. I believe God heals, but I don't believe in faith healers. I don't. I believe God does the healing, and I pray for people to be healed. But don't you ever let anybody tell you that the reason you're still sick is a lack of faith on your part. Because one of these days, you're going to have to talk to Timothy. Timothy was a man of many infirmities, and Paul healed people. But Paul never healed Timothy. Why? You see, it just doesn't hold water. You've got to test everything. You can tell I'm passionate about it. When I was a trustee back in the early 90s, late 80s and early 90s, part of the 90s, at Southern Seminary, Dr. Danny Aiken became the dean of theology there, and now he's the president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. And he has a, I found, he has a fourfold test that can assist in testing all things. And I, so this is not original with me, this is him. But I put it down there for you to put it down. First of all, it's the Savior test. First John 4, verses 1 through 3, does it properly honor and exalt the person and work of Jesus? The Savior test. Anytime somebody's preaching, if they are not lifting up Jesus Christ as the only way to salvation, and he is the second person of the Godhead, equal with God, he is God, the God-man, then you just need to write him off. The second test is the scripture test. Is the teaching consistent with the whole Bible's instruction and doctrine in this area? Does this teaching attempt to take away or add to God's word? You be very careful for somebody to pull out one verse of scripture in a historical passage and make it a doctrine for today. You have to be careful. Compare it with other scripture. Scripture will not contradict other scripture. The third is the spirit test. Is this teaching in concert with the expressed desires and ministry of the Holy Spirit as revealed in the word. Now you can check this especially against John 14, 15, and 16 to talk about the Spirit. A lot of people claim things that are by the Holy Spirit today that are not. I would love to chase a few rabbits here, but I'm not going to. That's, that's my hesitation. No, you better not. The fourth test, the saints test. What have, what have I and what do other mature, godly students of Scripture say on the matter? A good reference is 1 Corinthians 14, 31 to 33. What do other godly, mature people say about it? There's going to be a consensus there most of the time. So those are all ways in order to test all things. 
If sometimes you get a check in your spirit about something, let's go to the word of God and look at it. It's our source of authority. It's God's word. If God said it, it stands whether you and I believe it or not. So that settles it. The seventh thing, conclusively keep the good. Hold fast what is good. It's clearly related to what precedes it. When we've put all things to the test, hold on to what is the good and cling to it. Paul's telling us to cling and never let go of it. The immediate object of this exercise is the preaching or the teaching of his word. Some interpreters believe it's legitimate to extend the principle only to spiritual gifts and activities, but Paul places no restriction on this command. Verse 22 indicates that he set forth this exercise as a general rule to be applied to all things. When you discover anything good from God, guard it and hang on to it. The danger is not so much that you'll let it go as much as you'll just let it slip away. And so, you know, in the Song of Solomon, I'm sure you read that today, chapter 2, verse 15, we're warned about the little foxes that can sneak into the vineyard and spoil the vines. Well, Solomon is warning about little things that can wound a marriage, all the while you're not even noticing it. The word hold fast means hang on to what God, the good stuff, and hang on to it. When God reveals something to you, you nail it down and say, I'm going to hold on to that. Hold on to the truth. The last thing, completely abstain from evil. Now that word abstain is a strong word. It's the same word used over in chapter four, verse three. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. The force of this verb strengthened by Paul's use of a preposition that emphasizes separation from every form of evil. God doesn't look like, well, there's some evil that's less than other. I mean, it's, sin is sin. I know that. There are, sin that have, there are some sins that have more dire consequences than others, but sin is still sin. And the word form here State, it says, abstain from every form of evil. The word form is an interesting word. Paul means every kind of evil. It comes in all shapes and sizes, all kinds. It's a complex enemy that we face. You do know that evil comes in many different shapes and sizes, and it's, it's interesting. You know, evil knows your own shoe size and your hat size. It regularly sizes you up, tries to catch you off guard. What may be attractive to you, a form of evil, may not be attractive to me. I mean, there's some things that evil cannot tempt me with. I'm not interested in the least. There are other places, though, that get my attention. Same with you. It's all different. Then that's why he reuses this. He said, Be on guard for all the different ways it shows up. Don't be surprised by it. We all have weaknesses, don't we? (laughs) Especially in the areas of the eyes, the mouth, the hands, the mind, the heart, and the will. (laughs) 
Other than that, we're just fine. There's a lot of emphasis today on physical fitness, physical exercise. I wish the people that were so gung-ho about physical fitness were as gung-ho about spiritual fitness. I know that we're supposed to take care of ourselves the best we can But we're going to get a new one of these one day. <laughs> and I'm sure glad, aren't you? <laughs> Spiritual exercise. Maybe you ought to write these down, put them up on your mirror in the morning. And say, you know what? Whatever I'm in today, I'm going to rejoice. I'm, I'm going to... Have a joy in my heart, even in difficult circumstances. I know that God's still with me. I know that God doesn't let go of me. And you begin to put these into practice. Talking to the Lord. You can talk to the Lord. Even while you're driving. It's not the best time for me to talk to him. I'm getting better. Y'all just stay out of my way, okay? <laughs> I love to laugh with you, and I don't want God's word to ever be boring. I just want it to go home and to take, I want something to, I hope you've gotten something every time we meet that you can put in your pocket and take home with you. And say, so, you know what, Lord, I, I'm gonna try living that out in my life. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for the time together. Thank you for these wonderful folks. Thank you for a good enough weather to come tonight. May we never take for granted when we can assemble together. I pray that you'll encourage people. I pray that you will drive us to your word, show us the areas that we need to, to um, improve. Help us to focus on this. And just like we worry about diets and exercise, help us to feed our spirit and soul through your word and through prayer and through the Holy Spirit. And then as we meet together as a church, may we always be faithful to your word, testing all things, being hungry for anybody that'll teach the word to us to study it together. Help us to hold and cling to what is good. And Lord, help us to abstain from all of that evil that fits us, that, that is tempting to us. Help us to to abstain from that. So I pray, thank you. I, I lift up my friends and family in this church. Again, I pray for those whose hearts are broken tonight and that you would comfort them, help them. Thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. I thank you for even these three funerals that are coming up in our own church that these folks knew you as their savior. And so we have hope and assurance. I pray that you will guide us and lead us in all that we do. Thank you again for your word, Lord. And we love you. We love you and thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you want a ticket for the fish fry, I think tonight's the last night to get that. Also, if you want to bring a gift for Casey and Mackenzie 
Shim Fessel, our new middle school leaders. You can do that. You can even bring it Sunday. Just whatever you choose to do, if it's a gift card or money or whatever, put it in a card or just put it in an envelope with their name on it, Casey and Mackenzie, and we'll get it to them. We're going to bless them together. Thank you for being here and pray that you have a good evening. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to watch more live streams or additional Bible studies, please go to southcrestlive.tv. We hope to see you again next week.